What's going on, guys? UFC 272 recap. And got through unscathed, I suppose. Top ticket hit. That's kind of all that matters at the end of the day. It was a little plus money. Seven and six overall. But I don't think the reads were bad here, man. I think we got a couple bad bounces, which I'm not complaining about because in the prior weeks we had got maybe a couple good bounces. So ebbs and flow of the sport. But but just to keep in mind, our top tickets, Umar Covington, RDA. Second tickets, Holland, Ulan Bekov, who we're going to talk about. Third ticket, Jacoby and Jaku. Who we'll talk about. If you get the bounce on Ulambekov and Jaku, you thought we should have, you're looking at a plus 929. Everybody's happy. Unfortunately, not the way the sport works sometimes. We're going to have to dissect exactly what went wrong. So let's start off with Dustin Jacoby versus Michael Alekchuk. Uh, earlier on the week, Dogger, Pack, Dogger Pass podcast kind of leaning towards Lord Michael. I mean, the guy come forward, likes to box, likes to throw some heat. You know, maybe he's going to he's gonna fight like a live underdog. You're getting some decent plus money on him. Not that I don't like just Dustin Jacoby, but... He's nearly a two-to-one favorite. I'm just not feeling it, man. Something about him. Sometimes he goes out there and he lays a great performance, great cardio off the chart, training at altitude, you know, throws 143 significant strikes. Sometimes he looks a little lethargic. He looks a little slow. So who knows? But anyways, you watch weigh-ins. He's six foot three. He's much bigger than Michael. He's, uh, and I'm big on this. I mentioned it on the preview show. I mentioned it on Lock of the Night um, when we did the Propping You Up show. The leg kicks for Dustin Jacoby is going to be the difference maker. Watch the weigh-ins. Feel good about it. It looks like he's in shape, so let's roll with it. In the first round, he throws approximately one leg kick, and Alexichuk just backs him up. He's doing a great job. I mean, this is how he fights. He himself never kicks, but he just stands in the pocket and kind of tries to brawl with you. He's got a good straight left hand. He's good at finding the target with it, and he's got some decent pop. Looks like he's flustering Jacoby. Jacoby's supposed to be some grand kickboxing champion. He's not really having much success, and he's trying to box with them, A, which is not working for him because he's a kickboxer. He's not a really good boxer. It's just he's good at mixing it in. And B, he's not great at fighting off his back foot, and he's getting pushed back the entire time. So bad round. Things are not looking good to start out. We're going to need some adjustments here. And then thankfully the adjustments come in the form of Michael Lechek's bad gas tank. He's always had a bad gas tank. He tires. Dude looked like a million bucks against OSP in the first round. Probably 10-8 OSP in the first round. Gas is out in the second and gets put away. You know, the longer these fights go, the Modestus Bokelkis fight becomes predictable and his output kind of starts to fall off. When that happens... A guy like Dustin Jacoby should take over. He started two in the second round, but he's still not kicking. It's not like it's a definitive round. He wins. Ryan, I score a form. Everybody else scores a form. So Dustin Jacoby wins the round. Um, but it wasn't like he was doing much. It's just the numbers. He just started falling behind the numbers. So officially, if you look at that fight, Alexei Chuck lands a bunch in the first round. That's his best round. Usually is. He outstrikes Dustin Jacoby 27-22 in the first. In the second round, Dustin Jacoby outstrikes him 36-24. to In the third round, 31-18. to Like... Jacoby's pace kind of stayed the same. Alexa Chuck just had less success and he stopped coming forward. I don't know, probably fatigue, but he started just, uh, he'd allow Justin Jacoby to be the aggressor. And that's when Jacoby would land his best shots and props to Dustin. His cardio was also looking iffy, but he would mix in the wrestling. I know that's taxing on the body, but I think it was just a good way to break up the rhythm, right? He'd throw a couple punches. He'd land a couple good strikes. Uh, the judges are clearly watching that. The crowd's acknowledging it. And now push him up the cage for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, grind on him, split, land a couple more shots, press him back in the cage. He looked better in the third round than the second round, in my opinion. Justin Jacoby did. It seemed like he's caught a second win something. Anyways, he wins. Just doesn't look really good doing it. 
and, and I preach this all the time. You don't know what's actually going on with these guys. You could do the tape study and you could you can circle in on the leg kicks are going to be the difference maker. And then the fucking guy goes in and throws one leg kick throughout 15 minutes. Why? And they ask him in the post-fight interview. And right away, he's like, I injured both of my legs, you know, could hurt my foot, couldn't kick. That's why I didn't kick. That changes everything. But as a capper, as someone who watches the tape, that's shit you don't know. And I always preach this too. Let's say you did know. It wouldn't have fucking done any difference. If someone called you up and was like, dude, Dustin Jacoby injured both of his legs. He's not going to throw any kicks against Electric. And you take Electric, well, you lose, right? So hot information doesn't always go in your favor. Um, uh, Jonathan St. Pierre, or JSP the other day. Sorry, Jonathan Pierce. St. Pierce. <laughs> uh, he's sick. He's sick. And we're all wondering, like, what's going on with this guy's cardio? And then he mentioned in the post fight, like, yeah, I've been sick all week. You know, uh, Chad Enheledger, right? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, a cardio guy, but I couldn't do sprints the last two weeks as I blew out my knee. Like, holy shit, man. All those three guys won. Just none of them looked good. So that's kind of the danger when you're betting MMA. <clears throat> you're not 100% sure if these guys are at 100%. Anyways, you get the win, so you don't complain, right? Moving on, we got Ludovic Klein, Devontae Smith. We went Ludovic Klein as a dog pick. He was a popular dog pick earlier in the week. He could have gotten on, like, plus 145. Seemed to tighten up closer to fight time, and rightfully so. I think it was probably going to be a close fight, and nice to have some value side on these tightly contested ones, I guess. Um, Ludovic Klein, first round, I think he's just moving pretty good. Snappy head kick, which everybody knows he has. Jabs on point, and it's his ability to kind of shoot a takedown in there, here and there. Now it strikes Smith in the first round, and I thought he took it. Second round, things start getting a little stickier. <clears throat> it appears Ludovic Klein is doing enough to win the round, but he is actually getting a struck. Devontae Smith starting to get some range going, and I expected Smith to just completely fatigue because that's kind of who he's been through his career. Never been to decision, by the way. But he fought a decent second round. Klein landed okay, but then Klein gets the takedown. So, you know, I'm inclined to give it to Ludovic Klein. I think he's up 2 nothing going into the third. And then the third's much of the same. It's close. I, I would score that round for Devontae Smith. I thought he landed the better shots, did a better job of keeping the fight standing. You know, too little, too late. And then they announced a split. So I'm thinking, well, maybe someone was persuaded by the second round. One judge was. Two judges weren't. Ludovic Klein cashes. Cashes out the underdog. Uh, good reason. I don't really care for props. I don't play a whole lot of props. It, a fight like that, you probably would assume is not going to go the distance. Eh, and it does, right? So is what it is. But we're happy with it. We got an underdog hit out of it. Klein cashes. He was one of the more popular underdogs this week. So... This is good for business. Moving on to gear Ullenbeckhoff versus Tim Elliott. And I'll admit, <clears throat> nervous about this one. Very nervous about this one. It was a sticky week because you need to trust guys that you didn't have a whole lot of confidence in. And so Ullenbeckhoff comes in as the fifth most confident guy on my roster. And now I have to use him as a second ticket instead of a third ticket. Normally a top five guy or a fifth guy would be on the third ticket because Umar Nurmagomedov is a minus 1,000, right? He had a no value to the top ticket. I need to put three guys there. <clears throat> So I'm stuck with Ulan Bekov, and I like him. I think he's going to win. I actually really like him as a fighter. Uh, he's talented. I know people are talking about the first two fights in the UFC and greasy and close. Of course, this one ended up being much of the same, but I like this kid. I like what he brings to the table. I think he's going to win the fight. I'm just not confident. I know something could go wrong. Elliot could show up. I just got to put the trust in it, right? So go with Ulan Bekov, uh, and the price is not really great on it. But again, we parlay stuff together, so what can you do? Uh, first round, uh, <sighs> This is a really tough fight, man. It's a tough fight for me because the first round, as far as I'm concerned, Ulan Bekov is doing extremely well and winning the round. He does get taken down three times. None of those takedowns yield anything. No ground and pound. Uh, no, The takedown's got nothing. No ground and pound, no submission attempts. The, when he would try to get up from the takedown, he would eat borderline illegal knees, but they were legal. We'll give Tim Elliott that. They're legal knees. No smashed him up pretty good. 
So when you say, well, Tim Elliott got two good knees off the break and three quick takedowns that amounted to nothing, he fought a good round. I thought he fought a good round. But Tagir's touching him up. Jab's on point. Jab must have hit him 20 times in the first round. He's finding a home for that right hand. Uh, he's getting up as soon as he gets taken down, creating these scrambles. Like, looks pretty solid. I'm inclined to give him the round. I think he's winning the round. And then he gets clubbed with a hell of a left hook. The windmill left hook you just don't see coming because of the way Tim Elliott sets up his strikes, which is doesn't set up his strikes. They just come out of nowhere. He gets clubbed with a hell of a shot. He drops down. Uh, Tim gets on top. Tim lands a little bit. The kid clears the cobwebs. He stands up. He kind of looks at his corner, you know, starts asking them. I don't know what he's asking them, a legal knee. Who knows what he was asking them. The main thing is he loses the first round now. Like, I thought he was winning. Uh, 100% he ain't winning it now. So, yeah, we're, we're down around. We're down around. I go to hit it live. Because I'm certain Ulembeko is going to come back in rounds two and three. And I go to hit it live. And live, after dude just got dropped and lost the first round, he's still minus 120. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not hitting that. I need a way better price tag than that. I just got dropped and lost a round. But this is where Tim Elliott's going to start to fatigue. And honestly, dude, in the second round, I thought that's what happened. Tim Elliott started to fatigue. All of a sudden, Ulembeko still finding home for the jab, right? He's landing that right hand. He's touching him up. He's doing an excellent job for through the first three minutes. Wins the first three minutes of the round. Now, Elliot, the two-minute mark, you can rewatch it. He, they, they separate off the cage, and he looks up at the clock. And he's like, he's tired, man. Dude is tired. There's still two minutes left in a round, which he's losing. And he just looks at the clock, looks at Ulembekov, and just shoots a takedown. Ulembekov stuffs it. And then this is where the judges, I think, are persuaded here. Ulembekov shoots a couple takedowns, and Tim would just like, oh, man, dude's so good at scrambling. As the takedown would hit the ground, he'd switch, and he'd end up on top for a second. Like, you got to mount for, like, a second and a half, two seconds. None of that can get scored. If anything, I'm kind of looking – looks decent for Lumbeka. A guy shoots, picks him up, dumps him, and it gets transitioned over really quick, and then he gets back up, and he's back on him again. <clears throat> I don't mind what I'm seeing. But we need it to be 1-1 after the third, going into the third. got to be 1-1. I think it's 1-1. I think a good portion of the internet thinks it's 1-1. The tide has certainly changed. The momentum's all in our favor. Tim's gas. He's now fighting a stupid game plan, which was working in the first round. But the commentators got Tim Elliott's dick so far in their mouth with their commentary that it's really hard to gauge. I go on the internet, and shit, some people got Tim Elliott to nothing. But they were so fucking biased. Toward Tim Elliott. Joe Rogan says, this is one of the great Tim Elliott performances that we've ever seen in his career. Are you fucking mad? It's the same thing you always said to Tim Elliott. He came around, he peacocked in the first round and won it, which he's known to do. He starts to tire in the second round, and it got real greasy. And then only gets his fucking ass kicked in the third, right? Ulenbekov takes him down, uh, landed the better strikes, he got the takedown, he gets on top of him, he takes it back, he's looking for the rear naked choke. The, he was cut, he was bleeding, but it was off a head clash. It's just, it's not a 10-8. I know they start discussing on the commentary team, if it was a 10-8, it wasn't, it wasn't. So I need that second round. Not one single judge agreed. So I'm, I'm not sour about it because I know uh, a lot of people on the internet had Tim Elliott up to nothing as well. So if, if you had two, Tim Elliott to nothing, that's okay. That's all right. That's fine. I, I personally scored the second round of the back off. I think we can all agree one for Tim, third for Tagir. Um, and I'm not saying, oh, well, Russians aren't favorable in the media right now and the judges screwed it because I, I saw that narrative too. It was just a close fight, dude. Tagir's last two fights in the UFC, in fact, now all of his fights in the UFC have all been razor close, kind of could gone either way. And we all knew because we all predicted it. We all previewed it. We all mentioned it. Tim was going to make this a greasy close fight and he ended up getting on the right side of that greasy close fight. So whether I disagree or not, I can't scream robbery about it. And when I say, oh, the coulda, shoulda, woulda, oh, this ticket could have hit, well, it did it, right? So... 
move on. That's that's the end of it. You can't really lose too much time. Brian Kelleher versus Umar Nurmagomedov. This one you would lose a lot of time because <laughs> Umar's a top ticket guy. Like there is no salvaging the night. And if you know me by now, you know when I play all these parlays, the top ticket is your most investment. If you're playing one unit, then half of a unit at the very least is on that top ticket. If you're playing 10 units, five units at the very least are on that top ticket. That way, if everything blows up, because shit, that happens sometimes. The top ticket could bail you out, especially if you can get plus money. Sometimes it's like minus 120, minus 130. You're going to have a slight loss at the end of the night um, if the second ticket onwards all lose. But if you can get slight plus money, which we did here, you can you, you make a little bit. But if for whatever reason one guy in that top ticket loses, you're taking a bath on the night, man. Bath on the night. Thankfully, I wasn't worried about Umar, and I wasn't worried about the judges. I was because I, I kind of thought the fight was going to go to the distance personally. Uh, but I just thought it would be really one-way traffic. Like, how are you going to rob a guy when it's that much of a beating? So first round, Umar's taking his time. You know, he's outstriking Brian Kelleher. Kelleher's got nothing going, but uh, this guy was just on a way different level. Like, Kelleher's a serviceable journeyman, guy that, you know, he'll guard the gate pretty good. If you're a young prospect, he can show you a thing or two. If you're elite-level competition, he can still give you a round or two. Umar's considered elite-level competition, but he's fought once in the last two and a half years. He's coming off a 14-month layoff. He's not fought the best level of competition. All buddy looked good in his debut against Sergey Morozov. <laughs> he was billed as the goods. You know, uh, Paul Shaughnessy is just very high up on this guy. Warranted, man. Who, who smokes Brian Kelleher like that? I suppose Montel Jackson once upon a time, but Montel Jackson pretty good too. Umar's got a bright future, man. He took absolutely zero damage in this fight. You would think that he's probably good to turn, have a quick turnaround. The fight was also at 145 pounds. So, yeah, he didn't really have to cut weight for it. He looked really good at 145. He's probably got a future at boat weight classes. Like to see him back at Bantamweight his next time out. But if part of the reason he's not fighting that much is because his body's shutting down because of these bad weight cuts, a lot of these strong Russian guys from the Nurmagomedov clan especially, they have huge weight cuts. That's one of their advantages. They can cut a ton of weight. And then the body starts to look at Khabib now, dude. He's 200 pounds at the very least. Dude's huge. He weighed 55 like a year ago. Could make 55 a year ago. Can't make 55 now. I guarantee you that. It's like then once you stop cutting the weight, your body changes. But I think he's only 26 years old. I I doubt there's anything going on with him seriously. If he stays more active, this guy this guy looks the goods. He looked awesome. Again, thankfully I'm not on props because surely the over one and a half. Like Keller is a junkyard dog, but. <clears throat> Levels to this sport. Brian Keller is not a top 15 guy, and Umar Nurmagomedov looks like he could be potentially a title challenger. <clears throat> Marina Moroz versus Maria Agapova. I did screw up on this one. Uh, I screwed up on this one in the sunset. I had Agapova low. You knew that there was a warning here. But I preached. I preached twice this week. Talked with Manpreek. Talked with Paul. Talked to some people online. Talked with talk some people out of going heavy on Agapova. And, and the thing I mentioned the whole time was like, well, what if the wrestling? Like, I know Marina Moreau's 18% takedown accuracy in her career, but her last two fights, she's not interested in, in punching people up from the outside anymore. She's not interested in just jabbing all that. She's interested in getting a clinch, pressing you up against the cage, both double underhooks, peeling into the ground, and she actually has some pretty decent top game. And apparently at American Top Team, that's just kind of all she works on now. She's also super emotional and fired up, and whereas that could be used as a detriment, oh, maybe she's going to get too emotional in there. It's like, nah, man, she was just on the bit, ready to go, frothing at the mouth. Agapova, who was supposed to be all pissed off too, comes to the weigh-ins trying to be real friendly. I mean, real friendly. Going out of her way to be like, let's shake hands a third time, even though we've already done it twice. Like, <laughs> she was probably mentally broken right there, and the second she scored that first takedown, Marina Moroz, ah, I guess all downhill from there but 
because Ulanbekov lost, uh, I'm not, and I, I kind of rebuild it a little bit, but I'm not interested in rebuilding this. The women's MMA line, which is Marina Rodriguez in her, I should have had more on Marina. I got talked out of that one a little bit. Um, silly on my part, but oh well. And it was a close fight. What can you do? But this one, I, I just, I had a bad gut feeling about it because the PRP has to involve all of the fights. Agapova did end up making it, but she shouldn't have. Morose is a live underdog from the get-go. The wrestling was the key. Discussed it, talked about it. She executed perfectly. And another fight that most people would probably assume goes the distance, least completes two rounds. Geez, she just buzzsawed right through her. So big win for her, and especially with things going on in the world, you know, that was a, a highlight moment. And uh, Marina Rose actually looked really good. For Agapova, meanwhile, she's kind of back to fraudulent status. Like she gets taken down twice by Shayna Dobson and loses, looks terrible. Comes back with one win over Sabina Mazzo, who's been a career bust so far in the UFC. And then comes into this Marina Rose fight and just gets ragged all on the ground again. Like if they give her somebody that's willing to just stand in the pocket or stand at range and throw strikes for 15 minutes, sure. But wrestling is going to be i shouldn't even say necessarily that it's, it's more than just wrestling it's also gas tank because in the first round she's throwing up submission attempts I mean, the first round she's trying to scramble but just along the fight wore on she can't grapple for a prolonged period of time and uh, her game kind of fell apart agapova young enough to make something but uh she's gonna have her work cut out for her, i think kenji cool versus uh nikolai nigamirianu uh you know, whatever. I just another case of, in my opinion, bad judging. But I can't call it bad judging because, well, maybe you can. I don't understand how Tony Weeks scored the second round for Nega Mariano. Like, does that make any sense to anybody? Sometimes it's frustrating, but I you would get mad if the fight was just like a runaway blowout in the first round. Nothing happens, man. Like, it's a bad first round. It's a bad first round. I was inclined to give to Kennedy and Jaku, but. I guess he slightly got outstruck. There was a lot of inactivity, and you're getting warned about the eye pokes, man. You, When you're that big, you already have an 83 fucking inch reach. Why do you need two more inches? Why you got to extend your fingers, dog? Your arm is already the size of a goddamn tree trunk. No, 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 no. Let's just stick them fingers out. And I don't know. First round's dicey. I guess I gave it to Kennedy. Second round, I gave it to Kennedy. I thought he started to get his attention. Third round's all Kennedy, but just like the point deduction, we needed to win all three rounds or we were going to get a draw. I thought the draw was probably the worst case scenario. And then they announced a split for Nega Marionu. So, yeah, man, I disagree. Kennedy started to find his rhythm a little bit longer as the fight went on, started to pick up his volume, started to put a, a bit more pace. Nega Marionu, meanwhile, everything you throw punches him square in the face. He's got some of the worst defense you've ever seen. Got a hell of a chin on him. But someone's going to knock him fuck out eventually. And when that happens, that chin's not going to be that good anymore. And it'll be a digression. Because physically, his skills, his, his defensive boxing, his like res responsible defensive skills, not there. Not there. And not improving. Not getting any better. This Alexa Kmore fight. Everything Alexa Kmore threw, punched this guy square in the face. Uh, but he's tough. And he'll get in the pocket. And he'll, he'll club you. Like it's just not enough, man. Longevity not going to be in this guy's favor. And as far as he's billed as a Romanian wrestler and a wrestling champion, like, no, no. He's not a wrestler. He's not a striker. He's just a tough dude. And that toughness has low-key won him three straight fights in the UFC. Ain't that crazy? Crazy. Kenny, meanwhile, he was a busted prospect coming in. This kind of just solidifies it more. It's a bad loss in the sense that it was a really low-level guy. This is your chance to get back on track, and you lost. Did I think you should win? Yeah. Did a lot of people think you should win? I think so. I think a lot of people are on the same page there. But he didn't. So 
you don't sit and whine about it. I would have, in theory, had Kennedy on my third line. I ended up not minding this guy too much. I thought he's just way too big. He's going to stay to the outside. He's going to have superior volume, and he's going to hit him with pretty much everything he throws because of the defensive liabilities from Nega Mariano. But even though it's slightly played out like that, the, the judges didn't agree. So it, that that is what it is. And again, you get good bounces sometimes. You get the bounces that you're like, ooh, okay, I'll take that one. Greasy, I'll take that one. Sometimes you don't get the bounce. And these were close fights that we didn't have on the top ticket. Well, Lulembekov, I fucked up that second ticket thing. Anyways, it was a weekend that we were just lucky to scrape by alive, but we kind of knew that going in. I'm not going to spend too much time crying about Kenny and Jaku because we've got to move on to another split decision in Marina Rodriguez and uh, Jan Jonan. Um, Rodriguez earlier on the week, Paul and I talked about, she would have she actually taken Ulenbekov's spot on the second ticket. That's what I had planned. And then I had a couple of people blow me up in my DMs being like, don't do it. Marina Rodriguez, she's going to get this. She's going to get that. Jan's got great striking. She, Jan's never lost a pure striking battle. And she's been working on a wrestling, a team alpha male. And she's going to splice in a takedown or two and causes you to drop it down. And I'm not bitter that I dropped it down. because Oh, geez, I would have won, won the top two lines this week. And we would have had a better week. Because it was, yeah, it was, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. It was a super close fight. Could have gone either way. I did score it for Marina Rodriguez. But Jan brought it, you know, she had some good striking. She, she she did her best job. Just Rodriguez, I thought, landed the more meaningful shots. Uh, again, close fight, could go either way. Don't know how the public really scored it. I feel like most people favored Marina Rodriguez. She gets the win. Uh, those women's MMA fights especially, a lot of them, when you know it's just going to be a striking battle, they're, they're close, they're hotly contested. So you have one person who's a minus 265 favorite in Rodriguez. I see that there's a subgroup of people calling themselves uh, the value boys, the value boys. Yeah, that, there's value there on Jan, for sure. It's going to be a close fight. You could get the swing. You could get the nod. You could get that second of the three judges come your side. And you're looking at a big plus money ticket. Whereas Rodriguez, that would have been a full sweat for a nearly three-to-one favorite. So I get people's approach in that regard. But it doesn't matter if you have the value guy and they lose. you got to have the value person and they win. In this case, Marina Rodriguez was an egregious favorite in the spot, I suppose. And I would have been sweating it the whole time playing her up. But, you know, she did get the win. So that's more I can say for some of my other picks. And uh, speaking of that, Jamie Malarkey versus Jalen Turner. Ludovic Klein was the public's dog of the week. He was my second dog of the week. I like Jamie Malarkey more. I thought Jamie Malarkey had a good weight cut, looked big at the weigh-ins, you know, big dude for the weight class. Good perseverance, durability, grit, going to get his wrestling going. Training partner of Alexander Volkanovsky. He's just going to take that first-round licking get through those shots, and break Jalen Turner. Just did his last fight against Devontae Smith, got hit a lot in the first round, eventually broke him near the end of it, puts him away in the second, feeling something similar. Maybe not to put him away in the second, but win the second, win the third, win the fight. I think Jamie Markey's super live here. I, I, I underestimated Jalen Turner to an extent. He wasn't going away anywhere, man. This guy threw some excellent combinations. Everything was very sharp. Because he's six foot three at 155 pounds, he's just got size that you can't prepare for. And uh, the... I've always thought in my head, right, the great champions of the world will have the John Jones build, you know, and, and and if he wasn't such a fuck up, he would be the great champion of the world. But these guys that are like long and lanky, they can wrestle and they can stay to the outside. They have like a, a very efficient frame. It's like Michael Phelps. Why is he such a good swimmer? He's physically built for it. It's not like he's just got the best work ethic, which he also has incredible work ethic. It's his body's physically just built for it. It's huge wingspan, like web toes. Oh, man. The guy's built specifically for swimming. Uh, Jalen Turner, this build man for 55, 
he's going to give a lot of people a lot of problems. Uh, Malarkey clearly ended up being one of them. And so the fight starts kind of how I expected. Malarkey's getting hit from the outside. Jalen Turner's sharp. I just, I need this to be a grind. I need Malarkey to set a pace on him. I need to hopefully tire him out. Malarkey's swinging. He has a couple decent moments. He presses for a takedown initially. I need more of that because takedowns are obviously tiresome and Malarkey's got a good gas tank. So just keep wearing on him. Keep wearing on him. Keep wearing on him. Finally, eh, 45 seconds left in the round. He's losing the round. Finally gets a big takedown. Gets a takedown, runs to side control, tries to pass him out, ends up in guard, a couple ground and pound strikes. This is good. This is how the end of the first round with Devontae Smith went. We need a continuation of this. We need to keep pouring on that pressure. We need to get going. But in the first round, um, Turner had landed some body shots. Like he landed a step in need of the body to Malarkey in the first round. It looked like Malarkey shit his pants. He's got an excellent poker face. But he immediately crouches over, and there's just a grimace on his face like, oh, my God. Just a step-in knee right to the bottom. Nasty technique. And when you're big and tall, like Turner, you know that's one of his go-to moves. Probably something he uses in the gym all the time, right? Second round, I believe it's a might have been a left hook to the body. might have been a body kick. I can't exactly recall. But he hits Malarkey in the early going, and Malarkey, same thing, dude. His body starts to shut down. This time he crumples up, but he puts both hands down as if he wants to protect the body. And that's why he just eats the straight shot right down the middle, puts him down. Awesome stuff from Turner. His, his ground game actually looked pretty good. Like, he's going to have an active guard with those long limbs. He's able to re-guard after being in side control at the end of the first. So his jiu-jitsu didn't look too, too bad. His striking looks pretty good. Cardio checked out, although this one ended 30 seconds or something into the second round oh no i guess it was yeah 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 it was 46 seconds into the second round so i don't know how good his cardio would have held up long term but he he looked he looked total package for somebody who only fought you know five minutes and 46 seconds he looked very good uh be interesting to see what's coming from turner in the future and for malarkey this is a tough setback especially because it's a it's a knockout loss you know if you're going to be known for that grinding and that durability if you want to be a darren elkins type you gotta have a chin on you and I'll give him a pass here because Turner just, he melted his body, caused him to put his hands down and landed a beautiful flush shot. Larky can come back from this. He's still young enough. But in terms of like championship potential, I don't know that he reaches there. I think he has fun fights. He eventually slides into a gatekeeper type role. And Jalen Turner, he's only 26, clearly getting a lot better. And there's a lot to work with there. So interesting to see what the future holds for him. Sergey Spivak versus Greg Hardy. This is another bad pick for me, but uh, Greg Hardy's all the way at the bottom. Like, come on. It's, it's a PRP pick. Like, I have absolutely no faith in this. I just think if he comes out there hot, tries to land some strike, he could ne- knock out Spivak in the first round. Spivak's a little bit chinny. I don't know. I, I see the narrative. The narrative's there. Could happen, right? It's plus money. When you get chasing dogs just because it's plus money and it could happen, it is a little bit dangerous. But, of course, dogs are going to be barking, and you got to land on a couple of them. Hardy does. He won it. He won it. I think at this point it's well established. He's got no cardio, right? He's got he's asthmatic. He needs his puffer. They won't allow him to use it between rounds, and he tends to fall off the cliff quite sharply. But two performances in his career that he's had hasn't gassed out. I suppose would be the Alexander Volkov fight, which he took on short notice in Russia, went three rounds, and the Jorgen De Castro fight, which you know pretty slow pace, but went a good went a good solid fifteen minutes. I thought. But both of those fights, he's very reserved. He's not really throwing anything. And he doesn't knock out either guy. He goes one and one in those fights. But just like that, that's how he can fight for 15 minutes is if he just fights a really slow pace. Against Spivak, he didn't need that slow pace approach. He needed to just go at him. And I know it's risk-reward. Well, if I don't knock him out in the first, I'm going to get finished. And my last two fights, I went hard at Tai Tuivasa. I rocked him. Then I end up getting knocked out. And the fight prior, I went hard at Marcin Tabura, and then I gassed down and got taken down. So 
in his mind, he didn't want to do that. And I don't blame his coaches for probably saying, hey, take the lackadaisical stand back approach and wait for the punch, wait for the punch. But as he's waiting for the punch, he allows Spivak to just get going before him. Um, nice little takedown. Hardy apparently starts his weight cut fight week at 290, right? So this dude's probably close to 290, 300 pounds when he's in there on fight night. And Spivak was tossing him around, dude. Like, good for Sergey Spivak. This guy is strong. Moldovans are known to be very strong, by the way. But Sergey Spivak, uh, good little takedown. Hardy, you know, he's playing defensive. He's not trying to explode. He's not trying to use any energy. He eventually works his way back up. But he never got Spivak's hands are off of him, right? Spivak always had a tight clasp. He's able to peel him back down. And again, I mean, just being able to kind of toss a guy that that big onto his head a few times, passes over to like a half guard position, just anyways he just smashed him the ground and pound was on point everything he threw smash hardy's clear in the face ref stops it they pay hardy a lot of money the ufc pays him a lot of money because he's a former dallas cowboys player and he had some notoriety and they thought people would tune in to watch him fight but i think it's a failed experiment at this point he's on a three-fight losing streak now there's a lot of much 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 better more deserving fighters on the roster that make just fraction of what he makes and there's no real upside to him he's not an actual power puncher i thought he could clip spivak in the first but when you look at his record, like he's kind of a decision guy as much as he does find the money. And he's got no cardio. He's got no ground game. He's not seemingly making any marginal improvements overall. And he's a little getting older. So at heavyweight, you can always reinvent yourself. And you can always, you're always a couple fights away from getting back into contention. But I, I would assume released. And whereas the obvious thought was Bellator will bring him in and job him out a few times. They might. They might. He's got a bad rap. Like, I don't I don't know that other companies are... Oh, PFL probably picked him up for their heavyweight tournament. But even then, I bet you he gets jobbed out. Like, I don't, I don't know that he's ever going to realize that potential. And uh, I think his confidence is low now. And a guy like Hardy, if he was ever going to be successful, the early portion of his career, you need to believe, oh, I'm a fucking monster, dude. I'm going to go out there and hit this guy, and he's going to topple over. And people tell you, oh, man, you're the best athlete in the division. Oh, man, you're a former NFL player. Like... You buy your own shit. You believe it. It's confidence. Every fighter needs confidence. One of the most important things. I just, I think he's probably lost that at that point. He's got three consecutive TKO losses. None of them have particularly looked all that good. He, he's had maybe some, mo- he had moments in the Tybora fight. He had a moment in the Tuivasa fight. He had no moments in this one. So the decline is certainly there. This Sunday, we will find out who will get their invite to go dancing this March. The team's been fighting all season long to secure their shot at being crowned a champion. Just as the teams are in pursuit of glory, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving their new customers a shot at royalty with 4-1 to odds on any college basketball game. Just bet $5 on any college basketball team to win their next game, and if they win, DraftKings will pay out $200 in free bets. DraftKings Sportsbook has nearly endless ways to get in on the action, from same-game parlays to future betting. Feel the sweat with DraftKings now. Everyone can enter a free pool with $100,000 in prizes. Answer a handful of questions like which team will make the tournament and which conference will have the most teams in the tournament, then follow along Sunday night and track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code DOP, throw down just $5 on any college basketball game of your choice, and get $200 in free bets if the team you choose is wins. That's code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. Kevin Holland versus Alex Oliveira. I need this. I need this because not Kevin Holland's not on my Tom Tingen, but I but I rebuilt some stuff and just earlier in the week. I like Kevin Holland. Like Kevin Holland. He ends up being placed down in the second because I'm not putting four guys on my top ticket. You fucking crazy. And if there's one guy on that top ticket that's going to shit in the apple pie, 
Could be a Kevin Holland, but it's not so much. This is the beauty of it. Kevin loses to Derek Brunson. It's like, ah, oh, you can't wrestle. Kevin does it to himself. Now he takes on Vittori, and you just know Kevin's his own worst enemy, dude. He's going to lose because he, he does it to himself. He does. Then the Kyle Douglas fight. I load up on Douglas. Should have got that plus money. Stupid no contest. Why'd they let the fight continue and then call it a no contest? Anyways, it, Holland's going to do it to himself, dude. He always does. And then great matchmaking from the UFC. They're like, dude, what if we were to match him up with somebody who self-implodes at an even faster rate, Cowboy Oliveira. Thankfully, because Cowboy's fallen into like the one-round guy position. The UFC has a roster, ton of these one, maybe two-round guys. Two rounds can get you a win. Tim Elliott's the proof of it. Seven-minute guys? Ah, oh, man, they really better hope they finish you in that first seven minutes because it is a sharp decline after that. Alex Oliveira has become that guy. Fighting at 170, you know, he looks big. He looked good at the weigh-ins. Like, he was filled out. He was excited. He was happy. But he's going to bring the pain to you for about one round. And then at some point, he's going to get tired. He's going to get hit. And he's going to think, eh, don't really want to be here all that much. The first round, I thought he looked good. I'm starting to sweat it. Shit, man. This really isn't my night. I'm not having a great night on the card. I liked Holland. I liked Holland a lot. I thought he'd be live for the submission. Not that that came up. But, yeah, I mean... Not, not a great first round. Alex Oliver is pushing him back. Holland looked a little bit hesitant. He's not using his reach effectively. I think he's just trying to get a beat on what Oliver is going to do. And you don't really want to exchange with a guy that's got that hand cocked back. Oliver is just, he's just shaking this right hand, baby. He is just waiting to bomb you with it. It's a little bit, you get a little bit timid, I suppose. So Holland's taking his time. And, and then these calf kicks from Oliver start to land. He only lands like two or three of them. But Holland is noticeably in pain. Like he's limping up on this leg. He's, he's trying to check them. But it's not working all that well. He eventually gets hit in the leg. He falls to the ground. Oliver gets on top. Holland goes for a leg lock. I suppose if you're looking for that Holland by submission prop, that was the best it got for you. For me, I bet it myself. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it was mostly just grabbed a leg lock, tried to buy some time, get him to move off of me, get back up. He got back up. Holland fought his way back into it. He started giving him some calf kicks back. Is that when Alex, when Alex Oliveira uh, throws strikes, he sits down on everything. He throws his right hand with a lot of power. He throws those leg kicks with a lot of power. Kevin Holland's more like a touch-touch-go kind of guy. He's trying to hit you with a couple jabs, set up that, that right hand. Touch-touch, jab-jab, hit you with the right hand. He'll throw the calf kick. He'll throw the leg kick. And I think they were hurting Alex Oliveira. It's just you're going to have to throw 10 of them for every five that he throws or 10 of them for every three or four he throws because you're not really putting that same kind of power in it. So this is a good first round back and forth. But, yeah, I scored for Alex Oliveira. I'm not feeling terrible about it. We're down a round. It's that you, you, this is the position we want it to be in. We want it to be in a second round against Alex Oliveira. If he comes out hot in the first round and clips us, we're, we got a problem. If he spends the whole round on top without exerting any energy – We've got a problem. If he just got into a slugfest where he chucked some bombs, threw a couple takedowns, uh, yeah, we're probably going to be okay. Comes out in the second round. I don't know that he was exactly tired right then and there. I think that it was starting to go that way. But yeah, I mean, he's just he's a little bit too open with his striking defense. His hands are just a little too spaced out. And Holland finds the marker right down the middle, hits him clean, hits him flush. He drops right away. Good ground and pound. It looks like he was trying to recover from the ground and pound, doing his best to work, but... Holland uh, has a deep gas tank, and I think when he senses blood in the water, he's one of these guys that could go and throw 100 ground and pound strikes, and that's what he was going to do. The ref just had an obligation to stop this at some point. Oliver was in good spirits afterwards. He's not hurt. He's not damaged. You know, you didn't give him a prolonged beating, but Kevin Holland, the rightful winner. So, uh, sucks that the submission prop doesn't win, but 
the end of the day, we like Holland. Holland gets the job done at 170 pounds. I like Holland. I think his wrestling is going to be better. He's been spending a lot of time on it. His striking's good. His cardio's good. His chin's pretty good, assuming he doesn't get headbutted. His he's got a BJJ black belt. The wrestling defense will still be a problem, but again, less of a problem than it is at middleweight when you're taking on Brunson and Vittori. Like these are these are big guys who are actually decent wrestlers. So. Uh, this was a very good move for Kevin Holland uh, and, a, and a good performance despite probably losing the first round. And for Cowboy Oliveira, don't cut him. The guy is fun as hell. He's going to give you these fun fights. He's going to give you these these battles. But uh, his upside in the division is certainly limited, if not done. And you're going to just have to properly match him up with maybe other fellow one-round fighters. Give him somebody that's going to fade out after a round. And then, then, then they're both tired. Then it gets greasy down the stretch. Like, I don't know. The matchmakers could do something with him. I'd like, if he was to get cut, 100% Beltro snatches him up. 100% another major organization snatches him up. Like, he's still got some marketability, and he's still going to go bring you a fun fight. Hardy makes three times more money than Cowboy Oliver and doesn't really bring any of that stuff. So, uh, well, what can you do? Bryce Mitchell versus Edson Barbosa. This is, uh, well, I know now, fight for me personally. Barbosa way at the bottom of the list. Did end up backing him. Underdog. Think for plus money, you know, not the worst guy in the world. He's just so deep in experience. And it's a I know now moment for me because Mitchell fights the kind of style that Barbosa has never had success with. But is Mitchell Khabib Nurmagomedov? Is is Mitchell Kevin Lee? Is Mitchell even Amiraquani? Makwan Amiraquani, who uh, lost that fight, but, you know, had some success with the wrestling. I don't know, man. He didn't wrestle collegiately. He's just one of these very, very strong farm boys from Arkansas who is very, very powerful. And if he just, if he even grabs on a single leg, he's going to peel you to the ground. He doesn't train in a major gym, trains in his own confines. He's very much homegrown state boy. How could you not like him? Camo shorts. Since I made the mistake of thinking, you know, Barbosa trains at one of the best gyms in the world, long time at ATT, long time at, just trained with all the best guys. He's fought all the best guys. He's proven that standing. He's a serious problem. You tend to give a guy, especially at plus money, the benefit for the doubt. I just don't know what Mitchell brings fully. What Mitchell brings fully is his striking is vastly improving. We did see that in his last fight, but now you're seeing a continuation where he's got no fear in the world. The boy is standing in front of Edson Barbosa and backing him up. Tags him with the left hand over the top. He's throwing kicks to the to the body. He's not worried about Barbosa. He's seen the highlight reel. He's seen everything everybody else saw. He's standing with him. This guy's got mad cojones, improving striking. Even though he didn't wrestle collegiately, he works out with the University of Arkansas wrestling team, D1 program, grinding with these guys. He's abnormally strong. He's cool and he's composed. His cardio is getting better because he's a young guy. His power grappling is just on point. He's 15 and 0 for a reason. Now you gotta take notice. I gotta take notice. A lot of people had Mitchell. That was solid stuff. Solid stuff. To me, it felt like that was uh, last week's Ter- Terrence McKinney. Like, damn, this guy looked good. People saw it. I just wasn't sold on it yet. Terrence McKinney ain't got shit on Bryce Mitchell. This was a solid performance. McKinney can beat you in a round. Bryce Mitchell could beat you in a round. He could beat you in two rounds. He could beat you in three rounds. He could put an absolute drubbing on you. And that's what I thought he largely did. I mean, he got the takedowns. Uh, the judges' scorecards were 30-25, 3-26, I thought it was 3-27. I don't, I don't know that I had two 10-8 rounds in there. Um, but yeah, this is pretty one-way traffic, dude. He won the striking exchanges. He backed him up. He took him down. He dominated once he was on top. 
he just there was a lot that you could like out of Bryce Mitchell's confidence is growing. You hand him the microphone afterwards, he gives you pure gold, you know, like this guy's marketable. UFC's behind him. He just signed a, a brand new contract and he's a good guy. You know, donates half of his purse. Like, how could you not get behind the Bryce Mitchell? But but being a good guy and all that doesn't mean shit if you can't fight. And and he proved in a big way taking down Jules Rosa, dominating him, that don't mean shit. Taking down and beating up some of the guys that he beat to this point, yeah. Just not doing it for me. Barbosa's clearly over the hill. His best days are clearly been had. This is a style that's been kryptonic to him the last decade. Mitchell just did a continuation of that. But it's no easy task to go out there and dominate a guy 15 minutes against Barbosa. And that's exactly what he did. So props to Bryce Mitchell. Uh, he lives on, and he's going to have an exciting future, I think. Rafael Dos Santos versus Hainato Moicano. The sport of MMA is a crazy swing, dude. I had Rafael Fazeev on like my top tickets going into fight week, and Fazeev pulls out, which I'm glad I didn't in hindsight because when I made the bet, I thought it was a three-round fight. Turns out it was a five-round fight. I don't know how much I would have wanted Fazeev as a top ticket guy in a five-round fight, but, but regardless, I was all on Fazeev this week. I think he's going to win the fight, and then fight gets scrapped. Uh, RDA gets a late opponent in Hanato Moicano. And now you're just all over RDA. And it's no disrespect to Hanato Moicano, but uh, he just come off a win recently over Alex Hernandez. So I think that's got people being like, oh, shit, man. Dude, striking is good. Good submission game's good. He just come off a big win. Like, he didn't look great in the first round of that fight. I thought his cardio looked a bit little lackluster. Um, wrestling, I thought, would be a problem just because Rafael DeSantis is another guy that's evolved his game, right? Similar to a Marina Moroz, there was a time where it was mostly just state of the outside and strike, you know, a good striker. He always had good Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he never really tries to put it to overly good use. And then at some point, he realizes, man, I can wrestle. I can wrestle with some of the best of them. Uh, he can't because, I mean, his losses are all to the best wrestlers. But when he fights guys that aren't the best wrestlers, he's using that same strategy. It's like he's figured out, oh, shit, this is how you win MMA fights without taking damage. Standing and striking is fun and good, but, you know, you're going to have an Eddie Alvarez is going to catch you with something. You're going to have somebody that's going to – Tony Ferguson, you know, there's this absolute war. You don't want to take that much damage. Take a guy down, grind a guy, but you need the proper opponent. Moicano seemed like one of those guys that he was maybe not, if he didn't take him down right away, he was going to grind on him for a round. Then Hanato Moicano was going to tire. Then he was going to take him down. The fact that it was at a catch weight of 160, that plays out towards RDA. Dude always has bad weight cuts going down to 55, so an extra five pounds for him, beautiful. You know, he, he's fought at 170. For Moicano, a former featherweight, taking a quick turnaround, it was not set up to go well for him whatsoever. Uh, the fight's an absolute drubbing. I'm sure you've seen it at this point. The first three rounds are RDA all day. RDA was a minus 1,000 on the live betting line after one round. One round. He opened up at minus 165. That's where we all hammered him up. I think he went off at minus 185. Very fair. Very fair. And he's a minus 1,000 after the first round. A five-round fight. It's a five-round fight. So everybody knew after that first round, it was pretty much established. He was winning the striking exchanges straight left down the middle. Again, landing. Uh, the takedowns were there for him. And when the fight hit the ground, they're both BJJ black belts. But you got a bigger, stronger, larger man in Rafael Dos Anjos. He's just not really looking to do a whole lot. You know, like he's beating you up. He's He'll look for a submission attempt here and there. But it's like he's not going to create some big scramble and allow you to get up. And then the other thing is Moicano's got long limbs. And these guys, Turner would be the same way. They can throw up submissions. They can be tricky off the ground. But they're not great at just exploding back up like a flyweight, like a small, dense guy. A lot of these power wrestlers, you know, they'll just turn to a hip and then pop back up, right? Longer guys, you got to kind of get that limb out of the way. 
Moicano just he when Swizzy got grounded, he had nowhere to go. It's an absolute beating. You got a feeling that the the end is near. I'm sure a lot of people probably had it inside the distance. If they didn't, I don't know if you can live bet if your book offered live bet inside the distance. It looked like that was the way it was headed in the fourth round. They probably should stop it. They don't. I'll give Moicano one thing. He's fighting back. You know, they're telling they're urging him to fight back. He's fighting back. His eyes mangled. Surely. He's down four rounds. He's taken a life-changing amount of beating, of damage, sorry. RDA has landed like career-high and significant strikes landed at this point. He's not going anywhere. Your eyes just mangled. It's it's a non-win situation. And Goddard tells the doctor, it's actually very true. He says, uh, you you or me got to stop it. The corner is not going to stop. And that's true. The corner is not going to stop. They're going to allow him to go out on a shield like a warrior, right? So now the responsible adult in the room, either the doctor or the referee, probably needs to probably needs to stop this thing. But the doctor does his job. He goes and he assesses him, and he tells Goddard, he can see. You sure you can see? Yeah, man, he can see out of the eye. It's like, okay. So then he tells him, dude, I'll give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds is not a whole lot of time. But what he's saying is, like, don't go out here and dance around at the outside. Like, go out there and make it happen. You need a sense of urgency right from the get-go. Moicano, it's really like a spitting back fist to come up short, but Goddard let him work. And to everybody's credit, the last like minute, this guy's got a heart. My God, his face has just been drubbed. He's taken damage everywhere. It's a been a prolonged beating. You know, you'd almost want to get just knocked down the first and go home, right? No, this has been a prolonged beating. Those are always way worse for you. And in the last minute of a of a fight that you just can't win and you're tired and you're getting beat up and you're hurt, like he goes, he gets swinging, man. He's he touched up our RDA a couple of times, never really hurt him, but it just showed a lot of bravado out of him. The thing is, is that fighters all have bravado. That's why they're fighters, and that's why we aren't, right? These guys, they they got heart, they got balls, they got desire, they want to go out there. Sometimes you got to save them from themselves. So it was a great last minute of the fifth round. Everybody is saying how much they just respect him and respect his heart and respect and that's all well and good but you didn't mean to let him fight the extra two rounds to get that you didn't mean to let he could have learned that lesson could have displayed that heart and gone home now he took a he just had a two-fight winning streak snapped right he falls way down in the divisional standings now like he's just he was on the top of your tongue and now it's like oh dude he just took an absolute drubbing and he's gonna be out for six months and when he comes back from this it's like i don't know who do they match him up with but Take him down and put a beating on him is going to be a problem. And for RDA, turns back the clock, right? He hadn't fought since the Paul Felder fight 14 months ago. He lost to Donald Cerrone in a grappling match at Submission Underground. Armbar in overtime, what can you do? Uh, they let you start in that position. But uh, he needed a win. This is a big win. Fought five rounds, something he's been known to do. He's probably going to headline a card somewhere, a fight night somewhere in his next fight against someone they're looking to build. But the division's, you know, he matches up with a lot of guys. And he don't mind fighting at 55 or 170. So RD is a company guy. Pay the man. He's worth it. It was a fun fight. It was pretty much a one-sided drubbing. But that was kind of the one problem with this 272 main card, right? The main card includes Sergey Spivak dominates Greg Hardy. Alex Oliveira did win the first round, and then Kevin Holland knocks him out very early into the second, so it was not one-sided. That was the only not one-sided fight because Bryce Mitchell won a 30-25 scorecard over Barbosa. One-way traffic. Rafael Dos Anjos won on a 50-44 scorecard. Complete one-way traffic. 
And Covington wasn't versus Monswell wasn't exactly one way traffic, but yeah, it, I, I had a 50 45. And that's what, well, I think one judge had a 50 45. You can give a round to Monswell. Uh, maybe the first, I think maybe I give the first round to George Monswell. They started out well. He's moving good. Yeah, geez, George looks like he's in shape, man. In and out. He looks zapped at weigh ins. But he starts this fight, he's, he's looking pretty good. He's moving well. He's trying to set up that, that check right hook. You know, he's switching stances. He's got a nice little switch um, switch kick to the body. He's gonna, he comes out with a flying kick, not quite a knee, but you know he's going to keep Colby honest. And Colby's a little bit hesitant from the outside. You know, he remembers getting punched in the face by old boy George, and he's not shooting it down for the first minute or two. He's just kind of staying there. Uh, I don't know. I just thought George landed the better strikes. Colby eventually does get the takedown. Gives George a grinding. I think I biasedly give the round to Colby Covington because, again, I said I scored at 50-45. I gave the first round to Colby Covington. I thought once he got the takedown, he dominated him for three minutes. But he didn't dominate him with ground and pound. He didn't really dominate him. With the, he got the back. He he was able to get him on all fours. He was able to keep him up against the cage. He's able to, you know, hold him positionally. But George had landed some good leg kicks early. George had landed a couple of decent strikes early. Maybe you give George the round, I guess, but no, I, I, I didn't. Second round, George started to slow down. He lands a couple good shots, but Colby's putting it on him, man. Colby's he's just he's got the pressure. He's got the pace. His strikes are starting to land a little bit better, but overall, Colby's just putting the pressure on him. And then Colby wins the second round. Third round's Colby's by far best round. Again, he, he's doing it all. He's backing George up. He's out striking him. The right hand's money. He keeps touching him up. Every time George, George's uh, Spanish Bobby Green at this point, like every time he gets punched, he's not shaking his head. But he's just like, like, he's like sticking out his tongue and smiling. It's just like, bro, what are you doing? Now? What are you doing? Like you're getting outstruck by Colby and you're making it very apparent. Every time he hits you, you're like smiling and shaking your head. And I get there's bad blood, but you're fighting, dude. Like put to good use. I didn't. I didn't really think about it till I watched the post fight with John Anik. And he mentioned, he's like, George was just super comfortable staying by the cage. There was moments where Colby would have him pressured there and he could have easily moved laterally side to side, or he could stay there and try to unload on with a punch. And he sat there. He just looked lethargic. And George later said, oh, I wasn't feeling myself. That actually is how George fights beyond seven minutes. He's a seven minute fighter. His wins are when he knocks guys out within seven minutes, other than Nate Diaz. It's a punching bag. That fight, you can extend a few rounds. Everything's going your way. Sure, sure. In a fight where they're going to be met with some resistance, he just tires. And when he tires, he doesn't want to throw anything. He's not looking to overextend himself. So he just sat there. He got beat up on the standing. He got beat up on the ground. Sure domination, third round for Colby Covington. Best Colby Covington's looked in the fight. This thing's probably not going to go a whole lot longer. Fourth round, he's beating George up the entire time. And then George lands that, uh, I think it was a kind of right hand. I think it was a right hand. Oh, man. Colby drops to a knee, gets up, and is just like, he's buzzed. He's buzzed. That's the best shot that George has landed the entire fight. He's down, in my opinion, three rounds. His best case scenario is he's down 2-1. So, got to win this fourth round. If I win this fourth round, we got a 2-2 going into the fifth. It's anybody's fight. Need to follow up, and he doesn't because he's tired. He landed one good shot. He stung his arch rival, the guy he hates more than anybody on this planet. He's finally got that little glimpse of opportunity. And you know what he does? He smiles and he sticks out his tongue because that's all he did. He just clowned in there. And Colby recovers. And Colby wins the latter bit of the round. Colby comes out for the fifth. 
the broad, I'm sure they didn't mean to phrase it this way, but they were like, this is what it comes down to, the fifth and final round, the championship round to declare a winner. And I, I don't think they meant it like this is a close fight because in my opinion, it was not a close fight. It was Colby Covington is kicking his ass and George is tired. He's been tired since about halfway through the second round. He landed one good punch in the fourth and to, failed to follow up on it. And then Colby gets on him again. So I don't think any of this was unexpected. I think a lot of people want to see Colby Covington get knocked out because they don't like him. That's fair. I think a lot of people want to see George win because he's somewhat of a likable character. I used to really like George. George used to be my boy. And after the Ben Askren knockout, I think he changed. Uh, money will do that to somebody, but not in a negative way. He's getting paid now. He's got a great contract. He's got the BMF title. He's he's hanging out on yachts. He's... Uh, but but it but it changed him, you know. He's he's all of a sudden he's uh you know he's not grinding the same way. He's not he doesn't have that same desire. He's not waking up and doing the road work and <clears throat> they're talking in pre the pre fight stuff. It's like uh, Dan Lambert was talking about. It. He's like, oh George Montal is crazy, blah blah. blah. He's like, oh, I, I talked to him um, the other day, and it's like, oh hey George, what's going on? It's like, oh I'm in Egypt. It's like that's the kind of life he deserves to live. He's a 51 fight veteran. He's fighting in Kimbo Slice's backyard. I was like a 17-year-old kid versus full-grown men. He paid his dues, challenged for a Strikeforce lightweight world title, challenged for a UFC welterweight world title. The guy's been there he, twice. Twice he challenged for a UFC title. Crazy when you think about it. Tw- he, he's got the UFC's fastest KO in company history. He beat Nate Diaz in a very prolific fight that he got paid for. The fucking guy deserves to be on a yacht. The, the guy deserves to be hanging at the pyramids in Egypt. The guy deserves to be living his absolute best life but he's no longer committed to being the best mixed martial artist he could possibly be and he wasn't actually even committed to beating the man he hated the most on this planet he showed up not in great shape he gave it a go for about a round and a half i can't even say it was that much of a go and the one moment he had in the fourth round with, with a with a knockdown fails to follow it up for colby he wanted it more he's definitely the second best welterweight on the planet he's in a real strange situation here though where he's basically joseph Benavidez. I've lost to the champion, Demetrius Johnson, twice. In his case, I've lost to Kamaru Usman twice. It's a fight that we could run back. It's a fight that uh, people would like to see run back, but the UFC's probably not looking to make it right away because you're 0-2 against the guy. So they're going to give Leon Edwards the title shot. That means who is available. Gilbert Burns? Man, Colby would love that fight. He'd kill Gilbert Burns. Colby would kill Gilbert Burns. But Gilbert Burns has got the Kanzan Chemayev fight, and... If Chemayev defeats Burns, the Colby likely draws Chemayev. And you can tell he doesn't really want the fight. He'll he'll say, hey, yeah, pick up a couple highlight uh, real wins. Pick up a couple big meaningful wins. Then I'll fight you. And that's fair. You know, you're a uh, number two guy in the world. You're a former title challenger like Colby Covenant. You're a former interim champion. Or whatever version of the title he had. doesn't matter. The guy's, the, the guy's pretty established. You don't want to fight Chemayev right now. You'd like to see him get a few for sure. I, I get it. But if Chemayev beats Burns, there's just nobody else. And you'll have to take the fight. If he does take the fight, then that's that's the real barometer test. I think Colby, at his absolute best, is a huge problem for Chemayev. Why not? Because Kamzat's wrestling so good. Well, like, Colby can wrestle with the best of them. Uh, comes out's pace is so good. He's got infinite cardio. Colby's cardio is along there with the best of them. Do we know enough about Kamzat's striking to think that he can just go and beat somebody up for 25 minutes? Like, maybe not. Colby can throw. Colby can throw. Colby's durable. Have we ever seen Kamzat Shemayev get punched in the face before? So, so there's a lot that you could like about Colby. 
and I know I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but he's 34 years old, man. Uh, the time's going to start creeping up to him. I uh, actually just turned 34 a few days ago, I guess, but uh, a week ago. Um, he had taken some time off. Like, if you look at him back in the day, he fights all the time. And then recently, it's been a little more sporadic. Like, he'll fight. He fought once in 2018, twice in 2019, once in 2020, once in 2021. This is his one fight for 2022. Um it's because of weight cuts. It's because of bad weight cutting. He's been weight cutting his entire life since he's a little kid. He wrestled. His body's not reacting the same way that it used to. He's had some medical troubles, and that's why he's not really calling out everybody in the division. I'll fight all you guys. I'll fight. He's, he's looking to take like a big fight, you know, a few big fights. I don't know how many fights realistically Colby has left. I think maybe he could fight a Chimaev and he could take one more crack at Usman, but he's not someone you're going to see fighting at 36, 37. Like I think. I think he's making his money now. He's making his run now. He's very hard on his body now. He overtrains now. He's doing all that stuff now. And it's just not going to pay off down the road. But love him or hate him. I know most people hate him. Don't 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 hate on me. It, you know, it feels like I'm sympathetic towards a guy. Like I, I like him. But as a fighter, this is my kind of guy, man. I this is my kind of guy. Grinder, can strike, heart, chin, pace, desire. Ring IQ is actually pretty good too. Just fucking wants it. You know, th these are the guys that are really easy to get behind. And then just because so many people dislike him personally, you know, should he have been a minus 600 favorite against Jordan? Yeah, probably. And people are saying minus 300 was too steep. Drake put that quarter million dollars on George Masvidal. Um, I'll just say one last thing about that Drake thing and then we can get out of here. I got tons of shit to do today, but. People say, oh, Drake's an idiot. You bet $250,000 on George Musselman. See, no, Drake's not an idiot because all that is is the equivalent to the average person betting 25 bucks. you know? Because how much money does the average person have in their bank account? I don't know. I wouldn't know what the average is, but but let's say you've got a, let's say you go into a UFC card, you got a thousand bucks in your pocket. I got a thousand dollars extra. Who cares what I got in bank account? I got a thousand dollars extra to bet on a UFC card, right? If you were to put a quarter of that, $250, yeah, no one would say anything. Oh, yeah, he put a quarter of his $1,000 that he had to bet. Drake, Drake is Drake. So if you've got $1,000, I would think he's got a million dollars. I was going to say 100000 but that's a lie. He's got, if you've got 1000 he's got more than $100,000. Uh, he's probably got a million. So similar to Michael Jordan, they'd be like, dude, you lost $70,000 in a golf game. It's like, what? It's the equivalent of losing like 70 bucks for the average guy. Like they got money. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They sounds like a stupid bet because it was such a large amount, but uh, it was the equivalent to dropping a quarter unit on somebody for him. Anyways, um, we got out unscathed. We went seven and six overall. Those are not the kind of results we wanted. The people that lost though were generally at the bottom. I appreciate that. If Injaku gets the decision, if Ulan Bekov gets the decision, people are hitting me up with goat means, but I don't want that. I just want to secure my profit. I want to not take a bath. This looked like a dangerous card. We survived it, and we move on to next week. So we'll take it from there. There's another Dogger Pass preview coming up on Wednesday. I will catch you guys later. Hopefully you enjoyed the fights. Hopefully you made a little bit of money, and uh, hopefully we can keep the trainer rolling the next time around. Till then, I'll catch you guys later. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.